Like what you hear on this podcast? And maybe you're tired of those longer, annoying lawyer ads every few minutes on regular radio. Well, make the switch with me to RadioTucker.com to listen local with news updates three days a week from Peach News Now. Also find Radio Tucker on your favorite home smart device. That's RadioTucker.com. Are you ready to snuggle in with the family this holiday season of that post-turkey snooze fest? Yeah, not me either. Let's upgrade that holiday with a vacation instead. Check out my upgrade offer, a new podcast from Peach News Now. Go to peachnews.co, click on the podcast link to listen, and let's find your holiday upgrade together. So thanks, Ben, for joining. And um, you reached out to me, and I think you've been a busy guy. I'll let you kind of explain and introduce yourself in a second. But uh, you wrote a book. Um, But uh, what I understand is these are your um you know what you experienced and i'm sure that you've uh, been asked this question numerous times you know um i would assume it, you were there january 6th and, and not looking to write a book about it but uh, i'll go ahead and let you introduce yourself and and how this whole project came to be hey uh, your assumption would be only half correct actually um so uh as you mentioned i'm the founder of what i call the chasing history project my name's ben hamilton and i describe myself as a crazed history teacher who's finally snapped so uh around around about the time of covid you know i wasn't really working anyway and i decided to take one last stab at my lifelong dream of being an author uh, because i wasn't doing my current job, at which I absolutely love, which was a high school history teacher. And I hit upon the idea of trying to write books that could someday be assigned in a high school history class as valid history books, but which were still fun to read. So, you know, like, I, I don't know if everyone's like this, but I'm, I'm nerdy enough to remember back all the books that I was forced to read in, in high school. And there were some that I actually liked. There were some that were like fun, even though they were true or, or at least exciting. And I wanted to write books about that. I thought, what if I, as a history teacher, who's obsessed with the fall of the Roman Republic, who's obsessed with the American revolution, start with the premise that, okay, my, my civilization is collapsing. I can't save it. I'll just write a record of what really happened and throw it in a time capsule. So 50, 100 years from now, students forced to read about history in high school will get a firsthand experience of what really happened. There's a few books like that that really exist that are great. The works of John Reed spring to mind, guy who was actually in the room in the Mexican Revolution and the Russian Revolution, but it's like an exciting book. And I try to do that. So I... The first book I wrote for the Chasing History Project, which hopefully will come out sometime next year, I published them out of order. I saw this thing going on in Seattle where the protesters had taken over several blocks of the city. And the news coverage of it was curiously incongruous. Like some stations said it was a mostly peaceful protest, became an infamous term. Other people said, you know, police cars are getting flipped over and caught on fire and, you know, the zombie apocalypse had started. And I got curious. I was like, okay, so here's a conflict. The official stories don't match. What if I just showed up and tried to write what really happened as near as I could tell as a firsthand experience? 
as what we call in history class a primary source historical document. That is a history document written by someone who actually witnessed the events. So I wanted to create primary source historical documents on purpose. And I wrote that whole book. It was It's a very, I, I like it. Uh, but then before I published it, while I was in the process of editing it, I started seeing similar conflicting reports about what was really happening at the MAGA rallies, at the rallies for then-President Trump, who was seeking re-election for the 2020 election. And I decided to do the same thing. Here's a event with conflicting stories about what's really happening. I want to show up and see for myself. So this book started as a project in which, to your point earlier, I was looking to write a book. I went to Trump rallies uh, I, I got like a van and I just drove up and down the East Coast going to one or two Trump rallies in different cities every week. And I interviewed people at all of them. And I thought the book was going to be that. I thought the book was going to be me interviewing people, waiting in line at Trump rallies to try and understand what was really going on, try and cut through all of the different political narratives. But at one of those days, the people I was interviewing took over the Capitol building. So... Once that happened, I'm like, well, clearly this is the book. <laughs> clearly this is the interesting thing to write about. So that's what's fascinating about this. And people ask me like, oh, yeah, you just happened to be there. No, I was actually following around MAGA rallies, interviewing people for well over a month before this happened. This is just the most interesting day. I actually have piles of notes. I could write at least two or three other books. In fact, I have like half of another book already written just from different chapters. I just decided to focus on January 6th, and that was how we ended up with this book. And that's it is called, uh, just plug my products here, Sorry Guys, We Stormed the Capitol, which is something someone actually said to me. That was the moment I first found out what had happened. Just somebody mentioned that to me. And so, unlike any sane person, I turned and I ran towards the Capitol building when I heard that because I wanted to learn more about it. So that's the background of my work, the Chasing History Project. I, I'm planning to continue to put out more content as things get crazier this election cycle, hopefully. Yeah, I'm curious, um, who was the person that said, sorry, guys, because I didn't get that far yet. Yeah, that's um, only a small part of the book itself. The, the important part for me is to just kind of give a context of what was happening here. Like at the time I heard this, I just bought a hot dog like I was across the street from the Capitol building like I could see some people on the lawn and I was like, oh, I didn't I didn't think people were allowed up there. That's interesting, you know, um, but it didn't seem like the city was on fire or something. Sometimes people have this, you know, unrealistic view of what happened there. There was definitely some violence. Uh, you know, don't listen to Tucker Carlson when he says that everything was fine, but it was in pockets. It wasn't like the city was under siege. People do have this unrealistic view of it. So to me, as I thought about it, like I'm just I'm eating a hot dog. I'm overhearing this woman, little, I don't know, blonde 20 something saying, yeah, sorry, guys, we stormed the Capitol. She's really casual about it. And like the fact that that's how I found out, I think it does say something about the event and about the way political narratives on both sides sort of twisted it into something misleading because you know it wasn't like there was a loud explosion and that cued me in it was just like something someone said casually while i was eating a hot dog yeah, very interesting yeah and i think we'll we'll get along pretty well and and get into some uh rabbit holes here during the the interview 
um, you know, your, your background, I, I am curious if you're able to answer, you said that uh, you had stepped away from teaching. Was that by choice or were you put out of teaching? It just sort of happened as a result of COVID. Like I had a contract that happened to be up that year anyway. So I didn't get the COVID money. A lot of people did because the schools were closed. Um, so, and just, I decided that like, you know, I had taken a few shots at being an author. Even as a teenager, I'd always, I'd idolized Jack Kerouac. Oh, they don't like his books all that much, but I like his life. I like the, the adventurer author life. Um, John Steinbeck traveled with Charlie. I mentioned John Reed, all these adventurer authors. I had this romantic idea that I'd get around to that someday. And so since I wasn't teaching anymore, that just seemed like maybe this is my last chance, you know? So I decided to just dive seriously into writing and, and to really push it through this time. And I'm, I'm one of those guys who, I mean, I have a stack of books I've written that just never got published, you know? So I wanted to like finish this time. So it just seemed like the right time in my life to uh, switch over to writing, to, to take my shot. Yeah. And, and the reason that I'm asking is, um, you know, I went to college all the way through my master's. All of my degrees are in IT. And the biggest reason that I went through my master's was to have the ability to teach college. Because mm -hmm. you, if you want to teach college, you should have a graduate degree. And I had done that a number of years ago and had, um, you know, taught at several different schools. But um, prior to COVID, and, and there's a whole different story, we won't have to divert to, to talk about it, but I was actually thrown out of higher education. And I feel for political reasons. And that was the biggest, you know, change in, you know, and, and gears for me. I mean, I, I have a day job, this is not it. <laughs> and because uh, this does not pay the bills, as, as you were kind of talking about earlier. But, you, you know, I, I like to say, yeah, right. <laughs> Um, but I like to stay busy. And, um, you know, when academia made that decision to throw me out, that's when this whole podcast came alive, when, you know, I created the LLC for Peach News Now. And, and kind of touching on some of the things you talked about, I have had reporters in the past come and tell me, Robert, that's not news, <laughs> which just floors me. You know, with some of the sentiment that you were talking about, that you were hearing all these, I mean, if, if something happens, <laughs> but you're hearing four different descriptions of yes. how that one thing happened, and they have political undertones sometimes, um, sometimes the person was not there, et cetera, et cetera. I think you see where I'm going with this, right? I do. I do. I, I have, I don't know, four or five thoughts. Uh, a lot of, lot of good stuff you just said there uh, that I, I'd like to mention is the, the phenomenon you are describing of people being pushed out of academia, pushed out of colleges, schools, and, and, and how that is sort of tied together with the political narratives people see on TV and, and other media. I, that, is, that is a real thing. That is an important part of the times that we live in. And I really do take this idea that I'm creating, you know, like, if you really ask me, is our civilization doomed? I'm like, well, don't give up. Let's let's try to turn things around. But I do see my role as just to record things and try to leave an accurate record. And I do see that as a big part of the story of our times, which is not covered, which people who are not exposed to it can be frustratingly unaware of. Um, so 
I, I absolutely get what you're saying uh, in terms of that, in terms of the, the censorship and the weird political narratives. The thing is, the danger I always come up again, and this is the surprisingly difficult line to walk, is once I've called bullshit on the things like that, on the official narratives and the biases within the news and even the education systems, there's this gravitation poll trying to suck me into the far right because they are the enemies of those people and they're the, the main large group calling bullshit on those things but that's not true either that's just another political narrative what i want people to do is what schools used to do what teachers used to do is teach people to think for themselves teach people to gather data teach people to to measure how much bias might be built into the data and then teach people to analyze it and come to their own conclusions you know so i i will judge people I don't see myself as neutral. I don't see the Chasing History Project as having taken a, a sacred oath to never say anything that would benefit one political candidate or hurt another. Like, there's a lot of people who broke into the building on January 6th who come out who, like, I think they're idiots. I think they're kind of pathetic, you know? And, like, I make fun of them in the book. I mock them. But I don't mock them because I'm on the team that mocks the right wing. I turn around and I mock the left also. And I'm not constantly trying to, like, do calculations and see if it was even, if I mocked both sides exactly even. I'm just trying to to take in data that's accurate and give an analysis of it that is um, at least based mostly on the data I gathered, if that makes sense. So um, I went on a little bit of a tangent from your starting point, but I absolutely hear what you're saying. Yeah, and, and as you were talking, um, I think you would agree with this as a fellow educator. Uh, critical thinking is hard. <laughs> and, you know, I've, I've said that several times before, and, and sometimes the, the other side, they just kind of look at you if you have five heads. But, you know, I... I remember my last semester that everything went south that I, I taught at um, actually my alma mater at the end because I it was a school that I had gotten my master's from um, you know several of the teachers that had taught me in grad school were still there the dean of the school everything and there there came to a point where there was one particular student that she expected something very different out of the class. And she and I finally had a, and this was an online class, by the way, which is a very different paradigm, either from teaching in person. Um, I, I feel like that class probably could have ended up a little bit differently if, if it was in, in person. But um, she and I finally had a phone conversation. She wanted the class to go one way. And I, I stepped back for a second and I said, you realize this is a upper level IT course in, in IT and in, in computer science we actually engineer and make the things that are doing what you want, you know, to happen. And it was just silent. And, you know, sometimes, you know, in, in teaching people and, and trying to, you know, tell stories and it, it's just sometimes, as you described a moment ago, it, you don't want to mock people. You, you don't want to, you know, in, in school, sometimes you kind of want to be the, you know, the pal, the teacher, but at some point, you know, again, this is hard. <laughs> and yeah, and, and it's, it can be very decide. hard to know where to draw that line. But I, I will say this, yeah. and I, you know, I, it is, <laughs> I am in some ways a relic of an older time. Like, you know, like 
I'm I'm a like a Gen X guy. You know, I wasn't around when John Steinbeck and Jack Kerouac and Hunter Thompson were were hitting their stride. But even when I was young, I loved these authors and these worldviews that predated me that, that were, you know, a bit more popular 30 years ago. So I, I am something of a relic. I've always sort of seen myself as a, a man outside of time. I don't really like my time period. Um, so what you're describing is a wave. It's like a new wave, a new teachers, new types of schools that I don't agree with. The idea that like, that maybe like negative emotions, feelings, are violence and like you have to to like guard people against that against ever having felt bad that maybe they failed something but like no failure is part of the learning process you have to yeah. mess up and you have to know you made yeah. a mistake and you have to know you got it wrong the first time in order to learn you can't skip that step it doesn't work but there are a lot of people i meet who think you can, who want to protect children from ever having any sort of negative feeling. And you can't teach without that. You can't teach without the knowledge that you're wrong. Like at a certain point, you, you can't nice it up and you can't smooth things over to the point where you'd never even say that, you know, that that, that is part of the learning process. Um, What you were saying, it reminded me of one of my favorite sections of my book uh one of the few sections i wrote uh the first draft before january 6th um is it all right if i just read it to you see what you think sure yeah all right uh so this is from my interlude section uh i'm actually i'm gonna add this section here so this is the beginning of the chapter interlude the decline and fall Civilizations can be brought down by a lot of different things. War, pandemics, zombies. The strains on your society build up in a thousand ways, making invisible cracks in everything you've ever known until one day your world crumbles beneath your feet. And like the Romans, your whole life is relegated to a cautionary tale told to a classroom of bored teenagers. So... For those of you sifting through the ruins of a long-dead American empire, wondering how a debacle like January 6th could even happen to the, quote, most powerful nation on Earth, let's take just a few pages to talk about the strains on my civilization which led up to that day. After all, no history teacher worth his salt ever teaches a lesson without some context. A year before the crowd from Trump's speech swarmed the Capitol building, my civilization was dealt a crippling blow by the COVID-19 pandemic, a.k.a. coronavirus. From March to May 2020, state governments ordered lockdowns to fight the spread of the disease. Suddenly, it seemed, every school, small business, and public space in America was closed. Without a functioning economy, unemployment and poverty skyrocketed. Within three months, both were growing at the fastest rates since the Great Depression, notes at the source of in the book. I remember passing rows of rotting storefronts, every inch of their abandoned sidewalks overflowing with the dirt-smeared homeless tents. Everything solid was falling apart. Even those of us who didn't get sick or get sucked into poverty were prisoners in our homes during the lockdown. There were no bars, no movie theaters, no sports, no concerts, no public entertainment of any kind. 
If we left our houses to buy food, we had to wear medical masks. No one had a face anymore. No one could smile at you. We were a giant, soulless blob with thousand vacant eyes. Our entire population was cut off from everything that gave us joy and everyone around me to succumbed to insanity. They spent all their time bragging about arguments they'd won on the internet with people they had never met. And, and, the, and that last sentence or two that you said, you know, all through some of that situation, even some with my family and with some, you know, friends on, uh, on social media, how do you really know that you won the argument on social media? I mean, on Facebook, you can block the person. And would, would someone deem that you blocked a person that you won the battle? I don't know that that necessarily is a good outcome for, <laughs> to determine that you won the battle. It's just, that, that's, yeah, that's a good point. As that's, you were reading through that, yeah. I, I, I never thought of it that way. I, I guess I would respond, this is my response on the fly, that I think in the mind of the person telling the story, they always won the argument. They always believe they won. And the other person was just too stupid to understand that. Which, which leads me into, I mean, uh, you know, I am from Georgia. I didn't catch where you kind of live and reside in most of uh, I, I move around a lot. I, I, I don't really identify okay. as being from any one area. No place feels like home to me. Gotcha. But, you know, e even if we go back and look at the Civil War here in the U.S., you mm -hmm. have two varying opinions at times of, air quotes, who won war or uh, some, as a, I always say my, my Southern grandmother, she used to say, don't, ha don't say anything unless you have something nice to say. And you'll hear some Southerners call it that skirmish between the states. <laughs> or, I, I've you heard know, the war yeah, of aggression. When I was like interviewing people waiting <laughs> to hear Trump speak in Georgia, like I heard, like it, is I met all the I met so many interesting characters, and like I I do try to ride the line of like, am I being cruel or is it or is this really worth saying? But like so many interesting characters, like this guy. He was with his family and he was like, a, I think he was 17. He's, he's a high school kid. And he had this really thick Southern accent and no one else in his family did. <laughs> but uh, so he was like, you know, he was wearing like um, like a Confederate flag pin, you know, and he was like, yeah, this is from the war of Northern aggression. And I was like, wow. Have you heard of Fort Sumter? And he had not. But, you know, for, for those listening, Fort Sumter was when the uh, South Carolina uh, fired cannons at a federal uh, base, federal fort, Fort Sumter, which was the beginning of the war, which seems aggressive to me. So <laughs> I think it's a war of Southern, but like they still say that. Um yeah. So yeah, I've, I've absolutely met that. And it scares me. It scares me because like, this is like the way I view human civilization is it's this series of repeating cycles. Like everyone has some version of that expression. History repeats itself. Those who don't remember history are doomed to repeat it. History doesn't repeat or, but it rhymes. 
you know, like everyone has some variation on that idea. But like you, anyone who knows anything about the Roman Republic, for example, knows how incredibly similar to our civilization they are. It is eerie. And you dig into it a little more and you find out that's not an accident because the founders of the United States deliberately copied the Roman Republic in our uh, system of government. Even the word Senate is not that common a word. It's it's a reference to the Romans, you know. And so like civilizations rise and fall, that's inevitable. But the best we can hope for is that we learn some lessons from. So we, you know, we don't make the same mistakes. We at least make new mistakes. I think Alan Moore said that. I don't remember who said that. And I worry about people who try to rewrite history to fit their political narratives because they're cheating us out of that knowledge. They're cheating us out of the ability to at least learn from the mistakes of the past for the people a hundred years from now to at least learn from our mistakes. Like if there's at least an accurate record of what happened, then maybe there's some hope somewhat will do a little better someday. And so when people still want to go back and argue about, you know, the Civil War or whatever, there feels this raw emotional attachment that their side was right. And they don't even try to analyze things logically. That is a threat to our ability to learn. That is a threat to the human civilization's ability to learn over the course of hundreds of years. We have to at least get accurate records. Everything else is built on that. Yeah. And, and as you go through that, I mean, some still refer to this as, quote, the American experiment. As well, that's that, yes, that's, still... it is an experiment. You know, I mean, the truth is, if you look at history, and speaking in broad terms here, I'm sure there's like some YouTube comment or something on this. People will point out exceptions to what I'm saying. But democratic republics are not very stable. They don't last very long. We, we have had a very good run when you compare us to other republics. The, you know, the Roman Republic had a couple hundred more years on us, but it's arguable how democratic they were. And they certainly didn't extend democracy to the vast majority of the area they controlled. It was basically one weird Republican city-state being tyrannical rulers over a giant empire. You know, so... Um, but like usually democracies, they break into factions, they fight each other, they become very corrupt. The rich and powerful figure out, hey, I can I can buy control of these various members of government, especially because people come in an office so much and they collapse. They collapse into tyranny. You know, again, that's what happens to Romans. That's why Julius Caesar came along and. After him, we had Roman emperors. Like a lot of people don't even know that much. Like I can never, I can never quite decide how far I need to pull back the camera to talk about the big picture of what people don't know. Very important basic things. But like the Romans were the ruling empire for most of Europe for well over a thousand years. They are the major influence on European culture. And the Americans as a former European colony, as with the Canadians and Australians, inherited a lot of our culture and our systems of government and their associated problems from them. So the Romans are our ancestors as Americans, our, our historical uh, influences in, in a way that you know other parts of the world are not. That's why I think they merit studying. So with that said, the Romans had a good run of almost 500 years in which 
they originally had a king. They had a revolution in which they chased the king out of town. And they declared, we're going to have a new system of government with no kings. And we're going to have checks and balances. And we're going to have term limits. And we're going to have elections for at least some of the offices. And it was a it sounds a lot like the United States. And they lasted up until about 50 years before Jesus, um, that, that time period, in which Julius Caesar is, gets the credit for seizing all the separated powers back into one person. And we don't quite consider him an emperor because he died before he had a chance to finish it, but his adopted son is considered the first emperor. And after that, no more freedom. No more checks and balances, you know, the, although the weird thing about the Romans, and I'll stop after this because I could go all day, is after the Romans stopped having any semblance of democracy or liberty, after historians consider the Republic dead, looking back 2000 years, historians look at Roman history like, well, clearly it's not a Republic anymore. They have an emperor. But the emperors for a long time never did that. The emperors were like, oh, no, we're totally still a republic. Everyone has rights. We're still going to have the election. The election is going to be meaningless, but we're still going to have it. Like that was the path the Romans took. And I'm very, very concerned the Americans are on a similar path. Yeah, for sure. Um, and you may not have the answer to this, but I have heard prior to January 6th, prior to COVID, uh, you know, some of the political work that I was uh, working in, but there was a comment made that still kind of sticks out to me as well. America survived the Civil War. Um, what could be worse? Do, do you think, again, you don't have to answer it now, but I was curious. Do you think that the Civil War, you know, here in this American experiment was the worst thing that America has overcome? Or is there something else that comes to mind or two? Uh, that's an interesting question. I I don't know that I have a perfect answer off the top of my head, but let me pivot to something that I do say often anyway that is somewhat relevant to here. I think if you look at history, civilizations are inherently fragile. Civilizations are always on the verge of collapse and they die all the time, you know? Like they they don't they don't last, you know, it's like they kill each other. They commit suicide. You know, it's not just the Romans. The Romans I talk about because they lasted a pretty long time and then died. But I think really every civilization almost dies almost every generation. Like I look at I think like the boomers are spoiled. I think they actually weren't in serious danger of facing a, a terrible thing like you you mentioned. But I look back at my grandparents' generation. My grandfathers, uh, both of them, they lived through the Great Depression and World War II. I think either of those things could have wiped out America. I think America only survived those things because the people alive at that time rose to the challenge and did the difficult things to keep their civilization going. I think there was any number of things America faced in almost every generation that could have killed it. It is a tough question to ask and answer. I, I get it. And then how do you measure? Is it mm -hmm. by number of people that died? Is it, you know, how much debt the country went into? I mean, there are just so many different ways that you could uh, look at that. And of course, different people, which is kind of the undertone of things we've talked about so far here. Are you poor? Are you going to answer that differently versus someone who is extremely rich? 
they would probably answer it very differently, right? So uh, oh, absolutely. I you know, uh, For the record, I'm poor. Yeah. <laughs> I would I would love it if some people would buy my book so I could maybe at least make enough money being an author to write more, you know. Nice nice feeding loop we could get going there folks. If you like my content, buy it. I'll make it more often. You'll get more content. I, I would love that. chasinghistoryproject.com. But yes, uh and, and again, like I could make everything a conversation about the Romans. I could. But like in, in you know, the rich in Rome were always talking about their rights and their liberty and how great everything was. But the poor people were just like, yeah, but we're starving. You know, that there there's massive unemployment. The Romans had a, a problem a little different than what we have now. But you can see the parallels, which was Rome would have wars in which they conquered other people and they captured their enemies as slaves. And so they would come back and the slaves would be put to work in all the fields because didn't have to pay them. And so then the citizens were all unemployed. So the Romans, they had a huge unemployment problem towards the end of their Republic as well as a slavery problem, obviously. Um, but so like you had all these people who, they, they, they theoretically had these voting rights in Rome, which was the difference. The people in the People's Assembly who were unemployed in living in poverty, and they were voting for reformers who promised to change policies and address the unemployment problem. It was a big land reform thing, like opening up more land for farms for the small owners. And they spent like an entire generation on that, like all these big electoral fights. These guys I love called the Gracchi, the Gracchus brothers. They never get a movie. It's such a good story. There's been like 30 movies about Julius Caesar. And these guys, like 30 years beforehand, never they really deserve a movie. But so they they used the people's assembly, they got the votes, they you know, and, and as it went on, it became clear that the rich people were just never gonna let these reforms through. Like every time they won an election, the rich people would just the 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 um this the the Senate, the the popular um uh the the um the the princeps i'm not getting the right word i'm having one of those moments i should but the the the, the ruling class in rome uh would just change the rules and say okay you won the election but we're not going to do it anyway and then the reformers who you know were with the the, the filthy potentially rioting common people they'd they'd vet a vote for another thing and then that wouldn't work and people kept breaking the rules is is the point it was it was an escalation till eventually you had mobs chasing the ruling class in the streets never heard of that right um and the stuff with julius caesar it only came after all those options were exhausted after all possibility of reform was just clearly never going to work and all the voters in rome believed that there was no way to vote a better system julius caesar comes along and he's a guy from a ruling class family but who speaks the language of the common people and he says look uh, just, I'll just kill him. You know, <laughs> Julius Caesar, like first he, 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 he goes through pretty much the same song and dance trying to make what he does look legal. He, he wins elections, but he's got an angry mob of poor people supporting him. That's what people don't understand about Julius Caesar. This is the guy who finally broke the democratic Republic in Rome, like a rich person with an angry mob of poor people backing him, promising to help the poor people. And to his credit, he did. Julius Caesar did a lot of the reforms that had been talked about earlier. <sighs> But so 
that brings down that's that's the kind of thing that kills republics when you have massive poverty when you have the ruling class who just just every time it looks like they might might be forced to change something they change the rules of the election just a tiny little bit that they think that they will never notice and people get more and more angry and they're like fine screw democracy screw it you know like julius caesar was popular like when he overthrew the roman republic most of the people liked that um, it wasn't until a few people later, you know, after his heir and then the next heir that suddenly they realized there's this guy who's got all the power and there's no way to get rid of him because democracy is gone. So what if he goes crazy? <laughs> you know, it ends badly. But for a little while, it seemed like a good idea. And we are arguably in that sort of phase. January 6th, by the way, uh, people who can see the video feed of this, the picture behind me is a picture I took on January 6th. I have a lot of pictures like that in my book. They are blurry and uh grainy but i actually was taking them as it was going on i think it brings it to life so when i was watching people a, a, a mob of you know filthy common people breaking into the capital of the united states which is deliberately built to look like the roman senate house uh i the the parallels to me were mind-blowing I, I looked at that and i saw that i looked at that and i saw the um the the french revolution uh which was similar I, it kind of reminded me of the women's march of uh on the bastille the women's march to versailles bastille was a separate day oh this is this is this is what happens when i go entirely from the top of my head you should look things up if you're really looking for it but so for me like this is like this interesting little destiny that I've tried to create for myself is the the crazed history teacher who knows all the examples of what it looks like when a civilization collapses. And then I try to go and watch my own civilization collapse and compare it, put it in that context. That's what the Chasing History Project tries to do. Are you ready to snuggle in with the family this holiday season with that post-turkey snooze fest? Yeah, not me either. Let's upgrade that holiday with a vacation instead. Check out my upgrade offer, a new podcast from Peach News Now. Go to peachnews.co, click on the podcast link to listen, and let's find your holiday upgrade together. Like what you hear on this podcast? And maybe you're tired of those longer, annoying lawyer ads every few minutes on regular radio. Well, make the switch with me to radiotucker.com to listen local with news updates three days a week from Peach News Now. Also find Radio Tucker on your favorite home smart device. That's radiotucker.com.